I am Thomas Solomon, and you are listening to the VO2 Podcast. Most of the commercially available training platforms like Strava, Elevate, Training Peaks, and Final Surge use fitness versus fatigue or acute versus chronic load relationships to assess your performance. These calculate various stress scores, including the Heart Rate Stress Score, HRSS, and the Running Total Stress Score, RTSS, that originate from something called the Training Impulse, aka the TRIMP. Here, I will explain what all these things are, how they can be useful, and where and when they are limited. In 1968, Forrest Gump met Benjamin Buford Bubba Blue and sculpted a great friendship that formed a fishing empire leading to the production of pineapple trimp, lemon trimp, coconut trimp, pepper trimp, trimp soup, trimp stew and trimp salad. After witnessing Forrest's phenomenal running career that followed, in 1975, Dr. Eric Bannister developed the training impulse model to quantify overall training load. Bannister's trimp assumes that training load is equal to exercise duration multiplied by exercise intensity, which is estimated using the heart rate reserve method, and a weighting factor that adjusts the intensity to ensure that long duration low intensity activities produce a similar training load score to that induced by SHIT, short high intensity training activities. TRIMP is equal to time in minutes multiplied by the percentage heart rate reserve times the weighting factor y, where the percentage of heart rate reserve is equal to your mean heart rate during the session minus your resting heart rate divided by the difference between your resting and maximum heart rate. y, the weighting factor, is a non-linear coefficient that models the relationship between the rise in blood lactate during exercise and the fractional elevation in heart rate during exercise above heart rate, above resting heart rate. In the original work by Eric Bannister, this relationship was different between men and women, so this weighting factor is influenced by sex and is adjusted accordingly. Bannister proposed that every exercise bout produces both a fitness and a fatigue impulse, i.e. a positive and a negative training effect. By progressively increasing TRIMP over several weeks, the accumulation of fitness and fatigue can be modelled to predict performance by subtracting current fatigue from, from the accumulated fitness. And he proposed that in response to a given load, fatigue initially outweighs fitness such that the subsequent performance capacity decreases, but that the fatigue dissipates faster over time than fitness, suggesting that fitness eventually outweighs fatigue and performance capacity can be predicted to rise. This model also theoretically predicts the appropriate taper period required to maximise performance, i.e. to find the day when fatigue is minimal and fitness is maximal. Without destroying your brains too much with the mathematical modelling behind the fitness fatigue impulse metric, you can read an in-depth overview by Drs David Clark and Philip Skiba in the journal Advances in Physiology Education 
and the links to these are available in the written version of this cast. Although Bannister's original paper only modelled TRIMP to predict performance in a single athlete, TRIMP has since been applied to larger populations of swimmers, triathletes, cyclists, weightlifters, hammer throwers and athletes in team sports like football, demonstrating its utility for illustrating overload, overreaching and the reversibility or detraining. Fortunately for us, the TRIMP model has also been applied to running, where it has been shown to be useful in predicting running performance. Furthermore, the fitness and fatigue impulses have also shown promise in smaller studies showing correlation with physiological variables that are related to fitness and fatigue, like iron status, muscle damage markers, and the feelings of mood. Therefore, in summary, the training impulse model, the TRIMP, is useful for demonstrating the basic principles of training theory. The growth of TRIMP. TRIMP sounds great, right? Several commercial training platforms certainly think so. Scientists have used a, modeling, a systems modeling approach to quantify the dose-response nature of training for over 40 years. And several companies have now exploited TRIMP theory to develop their own training load algorithms. Platforms like Strava, at least the paid subscription version anyway, Final Surge, Training Peaks, and Elevate calculate a training load score for each session in the form of a heart rate stress score, the HRSS, or a running total stress score, the RTSS. These are then used to estimate accumulated fitness, also known as the chronic training load, current fatigue, aka the acute training load, and performance, which is your form or your training stress balance, i.e. fitness minus fatigue, which can help you adjust your training and tapering periods in order to optimise your performance. The two indices, HRSS and the running total stress score, are proprietary formulae based on TRIMP theory that take into account the amount of time you have spent above the heart rate or the pace that demarcates your anaerobic or lactate threshold. These indices are then used in a proprietary algorithm to estimate accumulated fitness, a weighted running average of today's stress relative to your past 30 to 42 days, your current fatigue, a, waiting, a weighted running average of today's stress relative to your past 7 to 10 days, and the predicted performance, fitness minus fatigue. The indices are intuitively theorized, but unlike the TRIMP-derived fitness fatigue model, they have not been validated in peer-reviewed journals. To calculate the two, heart rate stress score is equal to the session TRIMP divided by the one-hour TRIMP at lactate threshold multiplied by 100, or the running total stress score is equal to the duration of the session multiplied by your normalized um, graded pace, multiplied by an intensity factor divided by your functional threshold pace. And it is important that the units are correct in order to correct in order to calculate these formulae. For example, the time is measured in seconds, normalized graded pace is a weighted running average of your grade adjusted pace measures in meter, measured in meters per second. The intensity factor is a bit like Bannister's weighting factor, which is the normalized graded pace divided by your functional threshold. But you must note that the running-based total stress score and its associated functional threshold pace, which has been described on Dr. Philip Skiba's website, Phys Farm, 
and is akin to Dr. Andy Coggan's training stress score, the TSS, which is a cycling-based functional threshold power model described in his book Training and Racing with a Power Meter. Also noting that the grade-adjusted pace calculation, which attempts to account for the loss of speed on ascents and the gain on descents, acts as a surrogate for the normalised power in Coggan's total training stress score. And its algorithm is derived from treadmill tests and has not been validated on complex mountainous terrain. The limitations of TRIMP It is important to know that much of the data collected for Bannister's TRIMP was done so under laboratory conditions. But there are other limitations. Firstly, the average heart rate or power or pace during a session may not reflect the fluctuations of the curve during intermittent exercise sessions. The principal limitation of heart rate is its daily drift, influenced by things like hydration, rest, illness, and its underestimation of training stress caused when working at higher workloads that exceed your maximal aerobic capacity or your VO2 max. Also, the weighting factor, Y, used in Bannister's Trimp was derived from a very small sample, and it assumes that being either male or female is the only difference between people. The intensity factor introduced into the running total stress score to prevent long, easy sessions creating unnecessary high load is also an assumption. The attempts of the heart rate stress score and the running stress score to normalise your training loads to the time spent at heart rates or paces above lactate threshold sound great, but they also require that you know what your lactate threshold is or your functional threshold pace and how to measure them accurately. Furthermore, the grade-adjusted pace used to calculate the NGP component of the total stress score is based on an algorithm that factors in the loss of energy on inclines and the less-than-efficient return of energy on declines based on treadmill-derived data collected in very small sample sizes. There are several papers in the written version of this that link to the energetic models for this. The grade-adjusted pace calculation does not consider differences in terrain, for example road versus mud or trails versus rocky ascents, or nor does it incorporate technical skill, and therefore it very likely underestimates um, these types of terrain and the musculoskeletal stress of downhill running. These limitations, although important, are somewhat nitpicky. However, The most important limitation of any metric that uses just time and intensity to estimate your overall training load is that they oversimplify the relationships between training and performance and are just a single piece of the complex jigsaw puzzle, ignoring the many components that complete the picture. This issue is exemplified when trying to predict performance in highly trained elite athletes where genetic potential has perhaps been fulfilled and minor advances and more nuanced aspects of fitness such as skill become key. Such limitations do in fact take us further away rather than closer to the ever so important individualization requirement of training. The improvements to TRIMP In a 1993 book published by Polar, Sally Edwards proposed a trimp that uses the vastly popularised but totally arbitrary 5-zone 10% increment heart rate model based on percentages of heart rate max. In 2003, Lucia proposed a trimp metric using the less arbitrary demarcations, the ventilatory thresholds, that separate the three metabolic domains, our true biological intensity zones. 
Luthier assigned each domain a coefficient that is multiplied by the time spent in zone to produce a trimp score that incorporates the amount of time spent in the heavy versus the easy domains. This has potential, but it requires complex laboratory testing to determine the heart rates at which these demarcations occur. The commercial heart rate stress score and the running total stress score indices are akin to this approach in that they assess the session's load in relation to the time spent above the heart rate or the pace that demarcate the heavy domain. Nearly every endurance athlete uses intervals as a staple component of their training. Yet TRIMP, heart rate stress score and the running total stress score are limited since they assess average session heart rate or pace and therefore fail to capture the stress induced by intermittent types of sessions. In 2007, de Gorsay proposed a work endurance recovery method to improve TRIMP's utility by incorporating RPE, assessments of delayed onset muscle soreness, and lactate during interval sessions. This was an advance, but lactate is not always measurable in the field. A further refinement was made in 2009 when Hayes and Quinn proposed a TRIMP that included bioenergetic modelling of the running speed to time to exhaustion relationship, also known as the critical speed relationship. This improvement also included a concentration factor to quantify the intensity, duration and intermittent nature of interval sessions. However, the approach requires that at least, that at least three time trials at regular intervals during training to update each athlete's bioenergetic model. To help overcome similar limitations, Manzi and his colleagues derived an individualised TRIMP that measured the heart rate velocity relationship in each subject to individualise the intensity factor that was previously only influenced by being either male or female. This was a useful advance and its validity in tracking changes in fitness tests and running performance tests were more accurate than traditional TRIMPs. Indeed, the individualized TRIMP requires the frequent assessment of the heart rate velocity relationship to adjust the weighting factor as and when changes in fitness occur, but this is not really an additional burden since regular fitness tests are prudent anyway, and since Bannister's TRIMP, the heart rate stress score, and the running total stress, stress score metrics all require updates to either your resting heart rate, your maximum heart rate, or your heart rate or pace at lactate threshold. So, where we currently stand, there are several metrics available for tracking training load, most of which are based on a function of just two variables, session duration, the time, and intensity, your heart rate or pace. Some metrics, like the heart rate stress score and the running total stress score, can be automated for free using online platforms, but they require that you have a well-calibrated and accurate GPS watch coupled with accurate heart rate monitoring which are luxuries not everyone can afford or wants to use. But above all, the popular and freely available metrics do not assess the other important determinants of performance, like strength and skill, nor do they incorporate other components of training load like sleep, nutrition, mood or feelings, which I recently discussed. Subjective self-report outperforms objective measures. In 2018, a group, of, a group of scientists in the UK published a meta-analysis of team sport studies including 295 athletes and over 10,000 training studies. They found that the session RPE training load score was superior for tracking performance when compared to the traditional heart rate derived TRIMPs. 
While a team sport analysis may not seem relevant to runners, training for running performance includes strength-specific and skill-specific approaches. This is further exemplified in obstacle racing, where there are heavy carries, spear throws, and grip-intensive obstacles that require training for. Fortunately, the utility of the session RPE method has been proven in runners, where session RPE training load-derived performance was strongly correlated with actual race finish times following 15 weeks of training. But to help seal the deal, a systematic review of 56 original articles found that subjective self-reported measures, including validated questionnaires like the profile of mood states, POMS, the recovery stress questionnaire for athletes, the rest queue, and the daily analyses of life demands of athletes questionnaire, the DALDA, reflected chronic, i.e. accumulated fitness, and acute, i.e. the current fatigue, training loads with superior sensitivity and consistency when compared to objective measures which included heart rate, lactate, VO2 max and performance tests and blood test markers including those of endocrinology, haematology, immunology, inflammation and muscle damage. So, while the freely available automated metrics have value for helping you understand basic training theory, they are often outperformed by our own brains. Who would have thought that your own limbic system would know how you feel better than that lump of plastic carefully tied around your wrist? How do the metrics compare? As I've said before, the freely available metrics are convenient since they provide education in training theory surrounding the relationship between fitness and fatigue. Between January and April 2020, I collected training load data in a 39-year-old sub-elite athlete with a recent 5k time of 15.55 and aiming to peak for a mountain running event in mid-April. During this 13-week training block, fitness increased as evidenced by a faster steady-state pace at 2 and 4 millimoles per litre of lactate collected in the field, an improvement in 1 hour FTP from 3.40 to 3.28 per k, Weekly exercise dose was dependent on ongoing training and recovery feedback, but was in general gradually increased over the training block with regular recovery weeks of a lower load. As race day approached, the dose was tapered to reduce fatigue in the presence of the fitness that had accumulated in order to elevate performance. Unfortunately, the mountain running event occurred a SARS-CoV-2 induced cancellation, so the true performance outcome will never be known. But the actual reason for the data collection was to model the data and compare the trends in the fitness fatigue relationships between TRIMP, heart rate stress score, running total stress score, and session RPE. The outcome? Well, all of the metrics predicted the same outcome, a peak in performance at the opportune time. Importantly, the prediction derived from the session RPE i.e. the prediction derived from the athlete simply rating their perceived exertion of each session out of 10 provided no less information than the complex algorithms based on heart rate reserve, lactate thresholds and GPS-derived grade-adjusted pace. Since the session RPE metric is so simple, this data makes it appear to be some kind of superstar. Yes, the session RPE is a cheap, simple and rapid way to estimate the stress imposed on you by the duration and the intensity of your sessions, and it does not require any GPS, heart rate or power measuring tech. But, in isolation, it is just one small part of the jigsaw puzzle. 
What should you take home from all this information? As a practitioner, I collect the fewest possible data points that allow me to make the most well-informed and accurate decisions. Experimental studies, surveys of coaching practice at high-performance units, anecdotes from self-coached world-class athletes, and my own years of empirical data collection as a coach and an athlete all provide clear evidence that simple approaches with minimal use of complex or overwhelming metrics are effective for monitoring training load and achieving performance goals. With my coached athletes on the VO2 performance program, I monitor exercise dose, frequency, intensity and time, and exercise type, terrain, running, strength, etc., and use a recovery assessment tool that quickly assesses clients' body weight, menses, nutrition, mood, injury, illness, and sleep in less than two minutes. Athlete buy-in can be difficult, since some people disregard the need for load monitoring as an integral part of their training. Some athletes choose only to engage once there is a problem, i.e. when it is too late, while others have even played RPE chess, where they manipulate their self-report to inappropriately influence my planning, not enjoyable and never successful. But for the many who've religiously engaged in my training tool, I have had a much closer relationship with them, my understanding of their training responses is thorough, and I am better able to tweak planned loads in a safe and healthy manner in order to elicit better outcomes. When a signal stands out, I do my best to avoid not seeing the forest for the trees and help the clarity emerge by asking the athlete one simple question. How are you doing? Refining your training load down to one running-related metric, which the freely available online platforms encourage you to do, is a rather reductionist approach in comparison to the comprehensive list of factors that can influence and monitor your training stress. So, before committing to relying on jazzy and cool-sounding automated metrics to tell you when to train and to tell you how long to recover, give some thought to the load imposed by the other aspects of your training, like strength and skill, as well as the factors that influence the load, like sleep, nutrition and other things. Remember, using metrics to indicate how hard you just trained has some utility particularly for helping you learn about training theory. But the measurement of a single variable in isolation may be misleading and will only give you information about one factor at play. Yes, elevated morning heart rate may indicate illness, infection or lack of recovery from prior exercise, but it may also reflect your natural diurnal rhythm, a large meal, a lack of, acute, a lack of sleep, or an acute stress, such as your baby not sleeping, a tight work deadline, or your husband or wife being a complete twat. On the other hand, simply asking yourself how to feel forces your brain to instantaneously process everything that affects your mood, including factors like your prior exercise dose, sleep quality, nutrition quality, and hormonal status, and other things. Anyone who ignores self-reported assessments of how they feel will never maximise their genetic potential or fully achieve their performance goals. Despite years of research, there is no single metric that can accurately quantify your fitness and fatigue responses to training or predict your performance outcomes. Single metrics and algorithms have to use many assumptions. 
Minimize the error of the assumptions by using your cerebral wonder box to ask yourself some simple questions, bringing neurological art into the science of training. Thanks for following this two-part series on training load. I hope to have succeeded in helping you learn about the aspects of your training that impose stress and those that can be monitored to understand such stress. I hope also to have helped you understand the value and limitations of metrics and in doing so helping you consider how you might track your training load comprehensively but with simplicity in order to get the most out of your performance. I will return soon with more content but until that time stay active and keep training smart. If you are enjoying this free content, it would really help me if you could subscribe to my updates and head over to VO2 on social media and like and follow my posts. Please also feel free to share these articles on your social media pages and if there are topics you'd like to know more about, drop me a line. Sometimes I mention brands and products, but I am not sponsored by or receiving advertisement royalties from anyone. I have conducted biomedical research for which I have received research dollars from publicly funded national research councils and medical charities, and also from private companies, including Novo Nordisk Foundation, AstraZeneca, Amelin, the AP Muller Foundation, and the Augustinus Foundation. These companies had no control over the research design, data analysis, or publication outcomes of my work. Any recommendations I make are, and always will be, based on my own views and opinions that are shaped by the evidence. Before making any changes to your habits of daily living based on any information I provide, always ensure it is safe for you to do so and consult your doctor if you are unsure.